HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 this is Jimmy Carboni and Beer Sessions Radio. It's uh, September 30th, 2014. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We've got some special guests in the house, so uh, I'm kind of quaking under the uh, talent in this room. we got Yeppe from Evil Twin, Alex from The Nomad, and uh, Bill Kovaleski from Victory. So it's going to be a pretty great show tonight. Thanks to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. All right, so here we are, Heritage Radio Network. It's almost October, and... Uh, we sat in on a very cool tasting yesterday at the Nomad Restaurant. Um, Alex, you're, you're the manager. Just, just give us a quick introduction and tell us about the beer program that you guys have over there. So, uh, dining room manager at the Nomad, um, and I had a little bit of a background doing a beer thing uh, down in Tribeca for a couple of years. So when I came in, they wanted to go in a different direction. They asked me to uh, take a look at the beer list. Um, and it was awesome when I, when I inherited it. Uh, Kirk Kelloy, who um, became the... Uh, general manager of 11 Madison Park had started it out with uh, Brandon Latavere, one of the other managers there, and they had some really, really awesome stuff in the cellar when I started, and we just needed a little bit more um, focus and direction, so I started putting something together, um, and the res- what we call the reserve list uh, came out of it. Um, so now it's about 110 beers that range from anything like Schneider Aventinas going back to 2006. Um, to newer stuff that I'm really into, uh, Cascade with a couple of years on it. We wanted something that we wanted a place that we could have a bunch of beers and age them, as well as have uh, a smaller, more focused cocktail menu where we have stuff like Evil Twin and um, other more contemporary stuff as well. That's awesome. So Yepe from Evil Twin, he hangs out a lot at the Nomad with you, Alex. <laughs> Quite Hi, a bit. <laughs> I'm a regular. So all the, uh, the the stalkers can go to Nomad and. So you guys like Yeppe coming in. What other, what other beer guys do you have there on a regular basis? Um, we have a really good relationship with uh, Garrett Oliver, of course. Um, he, when we first opened, he did a beer for us uh, that pairs with our most famous dish, the chicken for two. Um, so when we opened, Garrett designed a, a brown ale. It's called La Poulet. It's a Belgian brown. Um, really dark, spicy, uh, and sweet. Perfect for chicken that's stuffed with foie gras, truffles, and brioche. Um, so he's around a lot. And then uh, the guys from Other Half, they did the first uh, class that we did in the series of three. So um, Sam and Matt are really awesome. They make really great beer. So we're big fans of them as well. So you, got, you have a class that's just for your staff. Yeah. So um, we just, Maggie actually uh, came to me with an idea to, uh, <laughs> to do a series of three classes based on work that she's been doing regarding local sustainable beer and how it's made and how it affects our uh, local food scene. Um, so we started out, the first one we did was with Other Half, where they came in and they discussed how they're, what they're doing um, and the Farm Brewery Act as well and how that opened up a lot of things for small brewers. Um, and then the second one was at the Abbey and um, the guys from Two Roads, uh, John from Two Roads came in and talked a little bit about what they're doing. 
Um, it was a nice little segue because uh, Hipster Ale's brewed at Two Roads as well. And then we're finishing up on October 13th with um, Garrett. We're going to taste the chicken, taste the poulet, and hear the story of the beginning. I think I might go to that one. You should come to that one. It's, it's going to be a yeah. lot of fun. Free tig. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with Yepi, so yeah, I, th- I think there's a kind of a theme t- on today's show about restaurants and beer because – you know, you, you, what do you like about the Nomad? Because you have some news to tell us, too. But <laughs> tell us how a restaurant like the Nomad inspires you as, as a beer guy. I mean, the first time I went to Nomad, I didn't go as a beer guy. I just went to try it out. And I'm a big, you know, I'm into food a lot. And uh, I just went and I love what they do. And I'm, I'm into cocktails a lot, too. And Nomad has maybe the best cocktail program in the whole city. So, you know, it was just, you know, I just went in and, and had dinner and loved it and and heard that they started to to take my beers in on the on the menu and you know alex got hired and and we started talking and and all of a sudden he was like maybe we should make a beer together just for nomad and i was you know all about it because when i when i work with people it has to be a mutual respect so if someone like alex comes in and say hey, you want to do something for nomad and i absolutely love the place already i mean it's pretty easy for me to be convinced that 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 that's a good idea so all right, and then Bill Kovaleski, uh, one Thank of the you. we got kind of the I guess Yeppe's new world, but you know new brewer, mm-hmm. but not really. But you're you seem like the you know veteran in the in the room. Well, I'm sitting victory. back. Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying what I'm hearing here because um, there's a lot of inspiration for someone who's been operating a restaurant for nearly uh, 19 years, and of course our restaurant is sort of out in the country, so to speak, um, between Philadelphia and Lancaster. But uh, anyone in the restaurant business knows the types of products. That come from that area. The Lancaster Valley and uh, Lancaster County are well known for the wonderful products that they provide. So um, I'm totally enjoying this conversation, and uh, I think that um, the food culture that's occurring here in New York, being driven by beer to some extent, is uh, is really inspirational. So Yappy, you you opened up Taurus and Luxus. What was the inspiration for that? Uh, the inspiration was actually we wanted to do a beer bar, and that was pretty much it. Um, I didn't have any desire to do a restaurant, mainly because uh, beer is what I do, and I'm not a, I'm not a cook, so I didn't know you know how to to open a restaurant, and I, and I like to do what I'm good at. Um, then I met Daniel Burns, um, Canadian chef who lives in New York. He was working at Momofuga at the time. Um, and he was in between. Now he he had worked at Mumbafuga and was in between in between jobs. And we became good friends, and we started doing like pop up dinners together. And uh, we found a space that had a full kitchen out in Greenpoint. Um, and I was like, we get a full kitchen for free. We should do something with this kitchen. So I asked him if he was into uh, into opening a restaurant. But I told him one thing. The only thing I ask for you from you is that we don't do anything but beer with the food. I mean, no wine, no alcohol, no nothing. So, to have a chef at his at his level to to uh, to agree with that is not easy. But he did, and um, you know now. What's, the big, really what's the big news? The big news <laughs> is it's actually I got the news like a couple of hours ago. Uh, a couple of hours ago that we got uh, our first Michelin star, and uh, it's quite a big deal because. Um, I mean, first of all, me coming from Denmark, Michelin in Europe is extremely big. It pretty much controls what's what's good and what's not good in 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 Europe. Um, and the fact that we are actually the first restaurant in the world to get a star that only serves beer, um, you know, it's a little bit of history writing. Uh, I mean, we wanted to show with our place that beer is a good match with food, um, and we want to show that you can actually go all the way with only beer. And and I think we have showed that. A little, little more today, so I'm very excited about it. Congratulations. Thanks a lot. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Radio is kind of weird. You can't scream for joy, you know? <laughs> awesome news. Well, Bill, you know, what, what are you doing tonight? I'm just trying to, like, get a sense of, of you know, there's, there's, there's Luxus and Taurus, there's, there's the Nomad, but where, where, where are you going to be going tonight? You're uh, quite honestly, city. I'm in the hands of RJ, my uh, very, very capable sales manager here in, in the metro area. Um, it's been a busy time for us. I think that everyone in this room knows what a busy schedule is like, and uh, when I come up here, I often just uh, throw myself into the mix and let him figure out where we're going to go, so... Um, it's wide open so for this the, evening. So what are the places that you're going to take, Bill, when for you're sure. more stalking? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're here in, in Bushwick, which is sort of, you know, the seat of a lot of interesting food, things going on with food, drink. Uh, so from here, really within walking distance, uh, there's any number of, of great places we could go. I think we might start off a um, new place right down the block uh, called Forest Point. 
uh, opened up, a few guys from the city opened that up, uh, I guess, two weeks ago. We might go over to Montana's a little bit further into Bushwick later. Jeff- Jefferson Stop, right? Yeah, I think the Jefferson yeah. Stop. Uh, Pine Box right around the corner. Great place to get a beer as well. So Come yeah, on, Jimmy. You know you're, you're making it tough for a guy that's in beer sales. <laughs> I know. Where do you get a beer? <laughs> but yeah, no shortage of spots in, in the immediate vicinity, for sure. No, it's fun. It's fun having Bill out here. And I know that... Uh, we we invite you on the show, and then you're going to do a special event at Blind Tiger tomorrow night too. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. You know, the Blind Tiger events are really sort of special for us because um, it just it attracts such a great crowd. Uh, I see a lot of faces that I don't see at other events in New York, so it kind of is almost like a, a homecoming uh, in a weird way. Uh, we get you know a, a crowd that shows up almost at certain times. There's certain expectations for it. Um, I would encourage more people to come out. I don't know if we can fit you. But uh, everyone's welcome. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a pretty complete and awesome lineup there tomorrow night at the Blind Tiger for us. All right. Well, tell us about how you guys started. I think this is the first time on the show. And uh... Uh, Well, my start um, almost dates back to 1973, if you break it down. I met my business partner, uh, co-founder, co-brewmaster Ron Barche, on a school bus um, about this time of year in 1973. And uh, we began, after playing ice hockey and beating each other up and doing all that fun stuff that normally happens, uh, after college we started homebrewing. My dad was from the coal country of Pennsylvania, so he was a super resourceful guy, uh, gardener, canner, pickler, homebrewer, which probably was doing before it was technically legal. But at any rate, I adopted his kit in 1985 as a... um, out-of-work artist, Bachelor of Fine Arts degree wasn't doing too much for me. So at any rate, um, I adopted that, and uh, I passed it along to Ron as well, and we just began challenging one another. He first got professional in 1989, joining the Baltimore Brewing Company as um, Theo de Grun, a German-trained Dutch brewmaster's first apprentice, and then I followed in those shoes. We did Bayern Stefan and Domens, uh, respectively, and then after some strong Belgian beers on New Year's Eve of 93-94, uh, we convinced our wives to let us write a business plan and try and break out on our own. All right, <laughs> man. And then you, you first, the first beers you made. First beers I, I know you had the Hop Devil, mm-hmm. the IPA. Yeah, I mean, 1996 was kind of a weird time. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of history to place your faith in, so we opened up with a lineup of uh, two lagers and one ale. Uh, we figured that we were playing it safe, but we were also playing it the way that we enjoyed it with the lagers. We had a, um, a Dortmunder-style lager called uh, Brandywine Valley Lager, which has now morphed into our Hellas Victory Lager. And we had uh, Victory Fest Beer, which is a Meritzen style that we still continually brew. And then we had the wild card. We had um, an American whole flower hopped IPA built out of German malt, which we thought no one would enjoy but us. And surprisingly, Hop Devil became our largest seller. Wow. Have, have you had Victory before, Alex? Um, actually, we opened with Prim Pills as our main line and probably ran it for almost two whole years before I ended up swapping it out. It, it was difficult for me to change, but we just needed a change at the time. But I had Victory for quite a few years and uh, ran it for a while in different forms as well. Yeah, I like it too. I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed at the, the, the range of beers you have because you have like these crazy IPAs, Hop mm-hmm. Double, the, the Ranch series. Then you're also making like these beautiful German beers like the Braumeister Pills, that series. I'm always asking yeah. for the Dunkel Lager. The the, 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 yeah, the Schwartz Pills. You guys sneak it in there. Yeah, well, it's only you and me and Ron and like a few other people, Jimmy. So we'll keep making it though. You know, the, the interesting thing, and I touched on it earlier about being sort of out in the country brewing our beers, is um, I often like to joke. If you came to Downingtown, you would understand why we make so many different beers. It's like you have to brew your own fun out there. So, uh, we, you know, we needed to make everything that would entertain us. And fortunately, it's entertained a lot of other people, too. All right. I'm actually, um, I'm looking up. I When I started now, like, I was into rape beer a long time ago when I started becoming a beer geek. And uh, my fourth highest rating of all ratings I've done, I I think I did like 2,500 uh, ratings in total. It's actually Victory Old Horizontal. And uh, I'm just looking it up now. It's kind of funny now that I have the man right next to me um, saying nothing less than outstanding and definitely one of the best beers I've ever had, if not the best. Pretty good. <laughs> A little bit choked up. A little bit choked up. I still remember it. I actually rated it more than 10 years ago, and I still remember that beer, so it must have done an impact. 
Yeah, beer memories are a really amazing thing. I was actually in Costa Rica last week doing a series of three beer dinners um, involving Costa Rican breweries. And this one young man who works at the Costa Rican Craft Brewery, um, I had two bottles left that I could share. And he was talking about how Hop Devil had been his first IPA, and he loved it and everything. So I went back to my room, I pulled out the last bottle of that, the last bottle of Prima. And not only was he thrilled, but when he looked at the label, he noticed how we had changed one of the colors in the label. So it's amazing the impressions you can make with beer, mm. you know, right from the, the image on through the, the impression. That's it's Cheers to you guys, man. All right. Hey, um, t- talking about just beer and making beer, um, what about water? You know, you're going back to Yepe, you know, you, you brew in different breweries, and, uh, you know, how does the water affect the styles that you make because we, we we were talking yesterday about the hipster ale and how you started that campaign I mean yeah I do I brew at a lot of different brewers um, and I have this new column at Vice Munches also that I'm writing about my travels around the world uh, the first one came out last week about uh, Mexico where I went down a couple of weeks ago and you know, going into new systems and new breweries all the time—it's it's a big challenge. I mean, the, the mold is pretty much always the same. The hop is, hops are pretty much always the same. The yeast we can always get, but the water always is always different. And you know, brewers cheat uh, cheat the water, but they they uh, but it still infects you know how the beer is going to taste. And that's it's kind of exciting to see you know to work with different things. And I've made the same beer at, in two different countries, and it came out pretty different. And you know, we use the same ingredients. I know this, the actual brewing system does a little bit different also, but definitely the water has a big impact on that thing. So, what what, what for you, Bill? Because you you guys have a new brewery now. You, yeah, you move down the road. I mean, we actually tried to minimize the impact of water, of course, while we were trying to build our second brewery. So, um, we're very fortunate at our original brewery in Downingtown because we're on a pristine watershed, and, and the water only travels 14 miles from the headwaters. The very you know source rivulets uh, down to where we pull it out, and so we need to duplicate that, which really geographically limited a lot of our options in terms of good industrial space because the next one's an even bigger brewery. So long story short, we were very fortunate to find a facility that was rail served, spacious enough on the sister watershed, the west branch of the Brandywine Creek. So geologically and uh, hydrologically, they're identical. Uh, So we're getting very, very consistent water from both facilities, which for us was uh, clearly a priority. We didn't want to go through the headache of trying to duplicate water quality. No, and I totally understand that. I wouldn't do it either. I mean, it's only when I go out to different countries. I'm not going to send an email to Mexico and tell them to get me some piece of water. (laughs) They'd probably be like, "Ah, I don't know about that. I feel like when you brew in different countries, you can almost embrace the water as like it's as close to terroir and beer as you're going to get. It's like the old Burton-on-Trent kind of thing. And that's what I like about it. That's also why sometimes I I get asked, what do you want to do about the water? I'm like, you know, let's just do what you normally do because I definitely want to show, you know, I want to, I don't want to travel to Mexico and make the exact same beer that I'm making in Connecticut. I mean, why the hell would I go to Mexico to do that? So it's fun for me to go there and, and see how it comes out. Uh, no, I absolutely agree with those philosophies. The water can be the terroir. So yeah. no, that is the admirable way to go about it. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. you like good beer whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an ipa greatbrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet greatbrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products with so much information and misinformation out there greatbrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Rodder in Bushwick, Brooklyn, the Morgan stop on the L. Afterwards, we're probably going out to the Jeff stop and checking out some uh, bars with uh, Bill Kovaleski. But uh, we got great, great lineup here. Yep, Bay from Evil Twin, 
uh, Alex from the Nomad and and Bill from uh, Victory. Great little. I'm still kind of shaking with these huge <laughs> pillars of the industry in my room with me today. It is great. I mean, first, Yepe, you know, we, we, we love having you. And Alex, I, I met you recently and, and saw what you've been doing at the Nomad. But with Bill, really, when we have – you're almost a pioneer of craft beer. I know in uh, um, you know, Steve Hindy's book, he was, he was talking about you as that, that middle generation. Yeah, no, that's um, – you know – Everyone hands you opportunity um, wherever you're wherever you're born into the whole cycle of things, and uh, there's some really substantial breweries that put us on the map. Um, you know, I was drinking a Stout's Pills outside here at the bar, and uh, Carol and Ed Stout. Um, you know, they kick things off in Pennsylvania. So there's always people you admire and you follow, but hopefully you're inspired enough to uh, to do your own thing and, and add to the party rather than subtract. And uh, we feel we've we've had that role. Great. And uh, you brought some beers for us. Before we had the, the No Matter Pills uh, mm, from Evil Twin. And uh, sorry. <laughs> I, had a lot of, I had a lot of beer last night. Guess what I drank last night? I drank, I drank the single cut half stack for like six hours. <laughs> One glass or that's that's the thing. Now we have, we have so many new great breweries, and it's like, like there's the dueling best IPA in New York. You know, that's, that's something going on. But this is, what's this? This is your Dirt Wolf double IPA. Yeah, we brought up some Dirt Wolf. Um, it's actually not even a full year old. Uh, it was rolled out in October of last year, and uh, much to some of our fans' chagrin, um, it actually killed off one of our flagship beers, the Hop Wallop. And to those people, you know, I explained that what we had available to us in hops and technology in 2003 is completely different than what we had available to us in 2013. So we went with the flow, and we embraced what Mother Nature was giving us, and we created a a different double IPA uh, that was more aligned. So what's changed? Uh, the hops. We've got uh, a whole lot of mosaic, Simcoe, um, Chinook in here. Uh, the mosaic is sort of the biggest player and the most unique of the varieties. We just picked up a uh, trailer full of wet hops two weeks ago, which we threw into our Harvestdale, and uh, it was really cool because the folks at Roy Farm said, this is, the most Chin- uh, this is the most mosaic we've ever seen loaded into a, into a truck, so... It's pretty awesome. Yeah, but what for some of your, your flagship beers, like the, the, the some specialty IPAs you make and the Hipster, what hops are you using for those? I mean, the, our IPA, that's is our, like, our IPA is Falco, and it's actually based on a hop blend called Falconer's Flight. So that's why it got its name, Falco, also. Um, it's a hop blend that was created to kind of imitate some of the hops that, you know, there's a big hop shortage now because all the breweries use the same hops. Everybody wants Simcoe, everybody wants, you know, Mosaic or Nelson Soang. And to imitate something like that, they blended, uh, I think it's three or four different hops. Um, and it's a cool hop blend, and I kind of liked it. And I, I wanted to make a beer just of hop, hop blends, so I like t- took that new approach to it and, and made a beer from that. So Falco is, is based on Falcon's flight. Um Simcoe is actually a fun beer because, uh, no, not Simcoe, Hipster is a fun beer because when I made Hipster, the whole idea was also to to meet that hop shortage and and, and Hipster is a beer that I where I change the hops. If, if we run out, we just change it and we don't, it's the same beer, it's the same label and everything, but it's kind of the whole idea of, of the beer that we can actually change the hops without, you know, feeling bad about it. It's like a field blend. It is, it is, <laughs> you know. Hipsters drink it anyway, so... <laughs> as long as it's in a can. Exactly. Well, I also admire that whole uh, concept of sustainability because you're accessing the hops that are readily available rather than driving the industry in a place where it doesn't want to go. Yeah, and for, for, for my brand, it's been a problem to... You know, I've only we're only four years old and we've been growing like crazy the last four years. Uh, we've been more than doubling our production. And I haven't had a, co- a hop contract that was big enough. You know, I couldn't predict what was going to happen next year. I didn't know that I was going to triple the production next year. So I made a hop contract kind of filling it out and find out that I had way too little. So, you know, I, had to, I just have to roll with it. And, 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 you know, if I don't have the hops, I can't, I can't make them up. It's not like I can make Falco. You know, I can't get Falcon's flight if I can't get it. So I just have to figure that out on the way. And I have to change recipes from time to time because of that. Uh, I, I can't really plan what's happening. And next year is going to probably going to be even even more yeah there must be more and more demand for hops there is big demand for hops for sure yeah but i think fortunately um after the market correction of 2007 when we really hit rock bottom and, and people were literally you know being turned away uh from their hop contracts um 
we've really basically corrected the marketplace so that hop growers are at least getting a fair price, so they're encouraged to put in more vines. Um, prior to that, they were tearing out vines and they were putting in orchards and putting in new homes. So, um, you know, you, it takes a certain price for people to want to be a hop farmer. Yeah, I mean, I, I had made my hop contract last year for 14 and 15, and a couple of, like a month ago, I wanted to look at at, at 16 also, and I asked for... Uh, for the price sheet from our, from our hub supplier, and a hub like Nielsen Savang is sold out until 2020. <laughs> I was like, what? That's like six years. So that makes it difficult to plan ahead. You know, you really have to know what you want to do in six years. It's nice <laughs> that you snuck the um, Femme Fatale Blanc in there before you ran out of... Uh, oh, totally. I, I, have that, I have that contract <laughs> this year, so... <laughs> Delicious. Well, on your end, uh, Alex, with the, with the restaurant... I mean, what are the demands of people? Do they expect to have the same beer all the time? Do they expect to have a really hoppy beer? I think know? it depends on um, what kind of place you are. And since we're in a, in a hotel, um, we're getting a little bit different clientele than you would at a uh, smaller restaurant or something even in Brooklyn. Um, a hotel with a lot of visibility in New York City in Manhattan, um, I get a lot of people who don't want to look at a menu. So we're selling a lot of Pilsner. Uh, we're selling a lot of IPA, um, and you have to be careful about what what you have on your main lines on your draft. So, you know, I'll always keep a, uh, a innocuous pilsner on draft. What do you have on the, right on now? The, it's a Firestone Pivo. So it's basically as great as it can get and make me happy and something that I want to drink. I love um, that beer. Yeah, it's awesome. It, it's so good. Uh, it's and, so good. And at the same time, not um, disappoint anyone who's going to come in and who says, "Hey, I don't want to think. I just want to order a light beer." So. That it's sort of like walking the line of making our guests happy and sh- and also teaching them something about it. Um, our IPA on draft is um, is founders all day. You know, it's another innocuous but still absolutely drinkable, totally delicious beer. And then once I satisfy that core need of oh, I want an IPA, oh, I want a pilsner, I can sort of get outside and and do something that's going to be make me a little bit more happy, but also. Um, expand these people's eyes uh, the way they're looking at craft beer. So right now we have um, Femme Vital Yuzu on draft as well, um, <clears throat> and uh, Finback Fort Tildenis, the white IPA that I was drinking all summer. <laughs> That's great. What is, so tell us about the the No Matter Vice beer. Um, how did that collaboration come about? Well, so um, like I said before, I uh, I was sort of hired into this really awesome beer program as it was already and uh the guy who's in charge of it before me brandon latterbeer had talked to yepe about doing a beer together um and that was how the no matter wit came about um it was a 22 ounce bottle belgian style wit beer it was fully 100 percent brett fermented not 100 percent, not 100 with brett yeah. yeah yeah delicious um you know and it was in a bomber so that sort of not everyone's gonna order it and i thought that sort of was restrictive a little bit um, so when we were coming up with the, the next one last summer, we started talking about it, and I was really into the Westbrook Goza at the time, as was everyone probably. Uh, absolutely delicious. So we thought about it, and you know, I came to Yepe and we said, hey, uh, can we do something in a can, maybe a Berliner Weiss? And you know, it, we just happened to have a very similar taste in beer, I think. Um, so we went with it, and it was awesome, although we did run into some difficulties uh, Doing a canned beer at first, right? I mean, yeah, Alex asked me if I, you know, if we can do the beer and if we can do it in cans. I was like, we can, but you have to buy about hundred thousand cans. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I know, I know no nomad enough to know that that might be a little too much. But we, you know, we came up with this idea of calling Nomad Weiser, so we could also sell. It. We didn't call it Nomad Weiser; we called it Nomada. So it's like it was a play on the, the Nomad thing, and you know, we we distributed in the whole country now. Um, I just love the idea of doing a Berliner Weiss in cans. I like cans, and I like Berliner Weisses, and it's just an easy drinkable beer. And Alex also introduced me to the idea of, of you know, and traditionally in Berlin, you serve it with syrups to sweeten it, which is, I don't, it's not something I really approve of. I don't really like it that way. But if you can make some, I mean, Alex told me they would make some really, like, good inmate craft syrups mm. that people could do their own blends at the table and I thought that was an awesome idea so we're doing that now yeah. Nomad so is doing that now it was pretty cool um, so if you come to the Nomad a lot of our uh, food items and snacks are served on wood boards um, that's made by a woodworking company in New Jersey so I we had this idea to make a custom wood tray 
uh, and in the middle it would have an inlay for the can, so the can would sit right in the middle, and then two little glass decanters on each side of um, of the can as well. And so on the right side, just like in Germany, it's traditional raspberry syrup. On the left side, we do a, um, a basil fennel syrup as well, uh, and then we have a dill syrup in the, uh, that we could throw in there also. But um, super cool. You have traditional where it's traditionally raspberry and traditionally herbal. Um, and it's just been really awesome. And what I think it does is it opens up uh, the beer to someone who might not want to order a sour beer. You know, the people that we're selling it to, it's like, oh, it's an Omen House beer. Okay, what? And it starts a conversation. We can tell them, hey, back in, when Berliner Weisses were first made, they were super sour. And to make them more palatable, uh, Germans would add sweet syrup to it. So this is our version of it. And it, I think what it does is it brings... Um, a sour beer of a super traditional style to an audience that would never ever order a sour beer in a can. Plus, it's very much in the you know I've been eating a Nomad a lot, and the way Nomad serve Nomad serve things is you know it's interaction with the with the customer, interaction with the people that eat there, and to do that with ju- not just the food but actually bring that to the beer also when people can actually create their own beer. You know, you get this one can that you can taste first, and it's sour and it's light, and it's you know then you can add one syrup, another syrup, and then you can like create your own beer at the table it's very exciting for pe- for people it's yeah. kind of it was kind of funny when you came in with mads uh from acme he kind of he looked at the thing and looked at me and goes why would i want to put syrup in my beer <laughs> exactly <laughs> and it's fun because you know you can put the syrup but you don't have to and it's just it's an option and it makes yeah. it more dynamic that's awesome well then you we had the the no matter of ice from evil twin and bill you just poured the uh, the wild devil so yeah, the Wild Devil's circulating right now, and I, th- I think it's going to be a great foil after the really incredible, refreshing qualities of the No Matter Vice. Um, the tartness of the No Matter just cuts right through and uh, leaves your palate ready for something different, uh, I suppose. Different would definitely be the story behind the, vi- the Wild Devil, because um, this is up until fermentation. Uh, it goes completely through the brew house as Hop Devil. So the recipe, water, malted barley, hops... It's all identical to Hop Devil, except for in primary fermentation, we use a strain of uh, Britannomyces that we isolated that is not a very tart um, producer, doesn't produce a whole lot of lactic acid. And then we um, finish it in secondary condition with a slightly more tart lacto, uh, I'm sorry, um, Britannomyces. So if you're familiar with Hop Devil, you could drink this beer and and think it was from a different planet. Um, But it really, for us, it illustrates the incredible impact of, of one constituent, the yeast. And um, dryness, more like fresh-cut cherry wood, very tannic uh, quality to it. What do you think about this, Yepi? I like it. Uh, I like, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of bread beers. Uh, the two that I brought, these two other ones are both made with bread. Um, you know, yeast is a very interesting creature, and uh, it, as, as Bill says, it's definitely, you can take one beer that has the same mold, same hops, same water, if you change the yeast, I mean, it's a different beast. You know, it's a total different beer. It's you can't even you wouldn't even know that it was the same thing. It's very interesting. The one one of the nice things about beer, and you know, I could tell Alex wanted to say something. <laughs> <laughs> he started it's moving the body fast. Language. <laughs> I'm fidgety. Uh, one of the cool things, and it's funny because my approach to beer is from much from a, a drinking side and not from a, a creating it side. So I have some weird opinions about it. But the one thing that I love about yeast and that when each brewer develops their own strain, it's like even in a collaboration, um, you can almost taste from the yeast whose uh, brew house they used. It's, it, when I was out in California, I tasted a, a collaboration between Three Floyds and Firestone, and you could sense that Three Floyds had something to do with it, but very much Firestone yeast. And the same the same thing goes the other way. Three Floyds is such a distinct yeast profile, and you guys have a very distinct yeast profile. So it's it's pretty cool that you can sort of sense that. It's funny how you dial it down to yeast because it's really uh, larger than that. It's a synergy of the fermentation, uh, the tanks themselves. We actually have 45 different yeast strains, which is sort of goes back to that whole concept of making your own fun in Downingtown. We wanted to have a broad range of options that we could apply to uh, any different style that we wanted to produce. So the, the fact that we have two breads in here, one that actually is a little bit more sour than the other, and we reserve that for the secondary conditioning, is really sort of the, you know, taking the elements you have and designing a beer, but somehow for the consumer like yourself, Alex, there's still this like memory of like, oh, I kind of know where that came from. That's a good thing. No, it's great. I love it. RJ, how do you sell Wild Devil? Because you're out there selling to accounts. 
So yep. how, what would you, how would you describe it to Montana is the bar we're going to? <laughs> um, you know, Wild Devil, it's, you take something that people are, are fairly familiar with at this point, uh, a beer that's been around for 18 years, something like, like Hop Devil, um, and it's, it's really a great opportunity to show what yeast actually does in a beer. You taste this side by side with Hop Devil, and it's not that they're unrecognizable, but it, the hops are such a... The interplay between the hops and the malts, just in Hop Devil, is, is what that beer is all about. With, with this, it's fairly neutral yeast in, in Hop Devil. Bring something like this into play, it totally takes over. So, much to Bill's point... This is great. This is a cherry. beer that I should have. On. I should definitely have the Evil Twin No Matter Vice, and I should have the Victory Wild Devil have on, I, on I my beer you, list. Jimmy, I sold you. I think you just did. So. Great. <laughs> All right. Hey, we're going to take another short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're here at Roberta's in Bushwick. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Check it out. You can be a member. There's a lot of great shows. A lot of new shows, too. And uh, one of my favorites is Eating Your Words with Kathy Irway. So if you like like cookbooks and food, check that out. All right. So here we are. We got Yeppe from Evil Twin, Alex from The Nomad, and uh, Bill and RJ from uh, Victory. We were just talking about, uh, we talked about water. We talked about, you know, funky new beers. But... Uh, Yeppe, what's this beer? I've never had this one either. This it's is a, a chance for Jimmy to try all the new beers. That's why we do the show. <laughs> Jimmy, it's a fungi new beer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beer called Fanfatel uh, that I made the first time a couple of years ago. Um, we call it an IPA, but it's not really an IPA. So it's a 100% bread fermented IPA um, fermented with a strain called Bread C, which is a very fruity uh, strain of bread. Um, and I made it the first time two years ago, and it was just like, you know, a hobby beer with, with bread, and it came out really good. And I thought it was so good that I wanted to play on it a little bit and do some twists. So we made a black version called Femme Fatale Noir. Um, we made a version with 100% Nelson Savang hops, which is a very aromatic hop from New Zealand called Femme Fatale Blanc. And uh, then, you know, as everybody, everyone else, I got obsessed with the Japanese seafood food called uh, Yuzu. Um, so and I just thought the yuzu and the and the and the bread would play really well together. So I made a, a version called Fanfatel Yuzu. Came out awesome. I loved it. And I wasn't. Then I went to Jap- Japan last December, um, and I went to to the fish market at four o'clock in the morning and tried out yuzu and I tried two new citrus fruits called sudachi and kabosu. And liked them a lot, and I was like, with my whole obsession. What's, what's sudachi? Sudachi and kabosu. It's all, two other Japanese citrus fruits that you only get from Japan. And since I loved yuzu so much, I tasted those two, and they they were really good. And I was like, you know, I want to let's do some more with the fanfatel thing and make a kabosu beer and a sudachi beer. And the one we have right now is the sudachi. Uh, so it's a different citrus fruit from Japan. And the other one on the table that we're going to taste in a little bit is kabosu. So. It's three different citrus fruits. Uh, one of them, like Yuzu, is very tart, very sour. Um, one of them is very, like one of the other ones is more like melony, and one of them is more orangey. So they have different flavors. I kind of it's just a fun way to play with with different fruits in the same beer. The restraint and nuance in this beer is absolutely amazing. I mean, like it hits your nose like it's going to be some kind of crazy cake. There's bread-like qualities to it. 
And then all of a sudden, I chocolate the citrus, too. It's like <laughs> chocolate. Crazy. Yeah, there's there's, there's elements in there. that you know haven't been described in terms of the process that my brain is saying are in here for sure. There's spice and cake qualities to it for, for you know for the very least. And I think that the restraint of the Brett and the restraint of the citrus are just phenomenal. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, it's 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 a beer that I just I have had a lot of fun playing around with it and and. You know, we've made seven, six or seven different Fampatels now, and it just it's, it has so much going on in terms of the yeast and everything, so it's just a fun way to to take something and, and, and go with it and see what, how much you can get out of it or if you can you know, get something totally different out of it. I wanted to make a Christmas version also and add, like, I don't know, oranges and, and, and spices or I don't know, something like that, but we never got to it. This almost tastes like a Christmas version. It almost does, exactly. <laughs> I swear to God there's chocolate in there. There's absolutely no chocolate. <laughs> Alex, uh, anyways, I think over. I think, I think, <laughs> I think just see, my, see my eyes. He was moving. Uh, he one, wants of the, to talk. one of the cool things about um, the Femme Fatale series as a whole is that there's so much consistency in regards to the product. And, you know, it's we're talking about the cake and the chocolate and all the nuance. It's like that's apparent in all of all of them, not just these. So what's what's so beautiful about it is that all of the Femme Fatales have those same nuanced, complex qualities and then they just have subtle differences where it's Kobosu and Sudachi and we're running Yuzu on Jeff right now and Femme Fatale Noir is incredible and the Blanc is my favorite because of the, just the way that, um, you know, I don't know if that one's so subtle. It's like the way you harness the <laughs> the Nelson Sullivan hops. It's just like, it's it's crazy. But it's so great that you have such a continuity between the line and that's not, not it's kind of hard to find, I think. Mm. Thanks. One thing, jumping back to restaurants and things. So, so Yuppie at, at Taurus and Luxus, I always thought it was going to be all like evil twin beers, but you actually have quite a range of beers there. Yeah, I mean, it's not an evil twin bar, um, and that was that was the purpose from the beginning. I I like to say that, yeah, I, I like my own beers, but I like a lot of other people's beers too, and I didn't want to make an evil twin bar because for me to, to be involved in a bar was about making the best bar I could make and if someone makes a better Pilsner than I do you know why the hell would I serve my own I could just serve someone else's so I didn't want to put a, an evil twin stamp on it and say oh, we, only got, we only believe in ourselves I've been in the beer industry for a long time I've loved beer for a longer time um, and I want to serve what's best you know I just want to bring to the people what whatever it's best again I like my own, my own beers but I like a lot of other beers too so and Bill, for, for you, you guys, in addition to the brewery, now it's two breweries and you're opening a brew pub. Yeah. You've always had a restaurant. W- what are the beers that, that you're pouring on, on draft in in your own you know brew pubs and restaurants? Well, I'm, I'm sitting here with a, a fair amount of envy right now because um, Pennsylvania laws, if, if you're making your own beers, uh, depending on your licensing, you're only serving your own beers. Um, we can go out and become uh, take a restaurant license and serve a wider range, but it really... That was one of our drivers early on in our business model is we didn't think that we could be, um, you know, a supplier of beers to other restaurants if we were also serving cocktails and also serving wine and doing exactly everything they were doing on the beverage program. So we constrained our model to our only our own beers, and that has caused us to be able to keep this incredible array of beers going uh, 24 on tap at our flagship Downingtown restaurant at any one given time. So, you know, these different business models, but I'm definitely envious of the concept of being able to uh, have other beers uh, served within my restaurant as well. Do you serve beers that you only make for the restaurant? Or do you do you make your beers we for try, Yeah, we try to play fair. We try to play fair. And with the size of our two brew houses, um, there's very few things that only get served at our brew pub. Um, typically, we always divvy a few things up and let them go out there into the world and see how they'll do. All right, man. Bill, how big is uh, Victory now? Uh, well, we've got in Downingtown a 50-barrel brew house, and we built a 200-barrel brew house in our second facility. So last year we did 103,000 barrels, if, uh, if numbers matter. It does to me. <laughs> well, I guess everybody's growing. You know, we, 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 had the, we were enamored with all the garage breweries, but now a lot of the breweries that we know – you know, you guys are growing. Brooklyn Brewery is growing, and and you too, Yeppy. So growing like crazy. you're making beer with uh, two roads in Connecticut, which seems like they built. I feel like they built the brewery for you. <laughs> I hope because now you're like we talked about the, my favorite one, the Cowboy, the Smoke Pilsner. I, I love that beer. Mm. Uh, t- tell us how, how how your beers changed by working with two roads. 
I mean, uh, Two Roads was for me what brought Evil Twin to the next level because I'm one of those so-called so-called gypsy brewers. I don't own my own brewery yet, um, and I needed I needed a place to brew. When I was living in Denmark, brewing all over Europe, it was like small batches, and it was expensive, and it was you know logistically very difficult to you know brew in Scotland, Norway, Holland, all kinds of places, and having to ship them to Denmark and then to the USA and blah, blah, blah. And I heard about uh, Two Roads. I went over, I, I, I met the guys, and I actually saw the space before it was even, the, you know, the, before they even started building out, and I heard what they were going to do and, you know, the size of the system, and they, they were taking in customers. Um, and it was kind of, you know, for me it was like, it made made Evil Twin. Uh, I, I thought I saw an opportunity for Evil Twin to get to the next level, and that's exactly what 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 happened. Um, I mean, just to put it in perspective, in eleven we made, you know, you said two hundred three thousand. In eleven, two thousand eleven, we made like a thousand barrels. In twelve, we made two and a, two, uh, two two and a half thousand barrels. Last year, we made about seven thousand, and yes, we, this year we're going to do about fourteen thousand barrels. So yet, yeah. we're definitely growing fast, you know, and that's mainly because of two roads and we can get the capacity and we get the good prices so we can actually get the beers out to, to, to customers. I mean, it does make a difference. Like a lot of these new, like, especially like specialty imports, they just, the kegs are so expensive. And totally. we have to charge like $10 for a wine glass size or $12 sometimes. Exactly, yeah. And by you making here in Connecticut, you're actually able to, to make a competitive like American craft beer price. Yeah, when I was you know? brewing in Europe, you know, I, I, I saw the complaints on, on the internet all the time. Oh, Evil Twin is overpriced, blah, blah. And I could only say, you know what? I totally agree. It's overpriced. You know, I wish I could make it cheaper, but, you know, people were like, why, why, why do we have to pay $16 for a six-pack of hipster ale? And I was like, I don't know. I make 16 cent a can, so don't blame <laughs> me because I, I don't run with those $16. So... You know, it's uh, it's it's definitely it's definitely been very good for me to to be a two roads and be able to put the beers out at a better price, bigger scale. You know what I find so encouraging is the fact that you know really intelligent guys at Two Roads built a brewery that will allow your vision to come to light. And we've got guys like Alex in the room that are you know building a beer program that's got essentially what you know what you might call an entry level beer that can take people to you know a deeper flavor of beer. So. The beer universe right now is incredibly exciting because on both ends of the spectrum, uh, whether it's the raw ingredients, whether it's the production, or whether it's the retail, it really just keeps opening wider and wider for us brewers to have more fun and do more expressive things. That's great. Totally agree. Be- before we close, I'm going to just do a, a quick like wild card question. <laughs> First of Bill, this I've never asked you this. What, what beer, if you couldn't get a victory beer, and, and you were out in a package shop or a liquor store, and you were feeling lucky... And, and you could get a decent beer. What, what beer would you, would, you, would you hope would be in that cooler at a store? The first one that came to mind that I always find comfort in because it's pretty reliable and it's just got very comfortable flavors is Triple Carmelite. I like that one, too. Any other reason you just like <laughs> Any other reasons? No, you know, well, you know, you hit me with a wild question, and, and that one's—it's got an amazing sort of orange blossom quality to it. I, I'm not actually a big Belgian beer guy per se, um, but that one has got very comforting flavors to it. So if I was stressed out in a bottle shop looking for something I wanted, and I found out, I would be instantly happy. All right. What about you, Yeppy? Um, I, I mean, I get asked the question a lot. So, what is your favorite brewery? And can you have a favorite brewery? I don't know. I always, but you know, since I get asked the question a lot, I kind of have to have an answer. And I always answer uh, Jolly Pumpkin out of Michigan. Um, Jolly Pumpkin to me is uh, it's so unique and and so different in the whole approach of of making beers. You know, they started barrel aging before barrel aging was even invented. They do 100. Uh, percent you know, all the beers are with wild yeast or bread, uh, bread, and it's just so unique, and they have such a cool house flavor. That's every time I drink a Jolly Pumpkin, I'm just amazed how good it is. And I actually made a collaboration with Jolly Pumpkin uh, a couple of weeks ago, which you know I've been asking Ron for like five years if he would do it, <laughs> and uh, finally he he said yes, and it was a big deal for me because I just love everything they do. Collaborations are kind of like back to high school dating. You, you just keep it asking is? and asking <laughs> and asking. <laughs> I had Jolly Pumpkin in my head for a long time, and I was like, I need to make this happen. <laughs> Everybody gets one date, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Alex, what, what, what about for you? Like, you're on a vacation, and you know you you go into that store, and you're like, please let them have Outside something. Outside of Evil Twin? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <laughs> I love um, you, too. I've never seen Evil Twin on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Nomad or Weiss was the summer beer, you know? Um, no, it's, you know, I think that, 
when you're outside of your comfort zone, you're looking for something, you're looking for consistency, whether it be Triple Carmelie, where you know no matter where you are, you get it. Um, I think Allagash, you know, people hate on Allagash White, but the one thing that Rob Todd does right is consistency. You know, it, it, it just crushes no matter what, no matter where you get it. It's always going to be that same thing. It's such a beautiful beer. And you just, Bill yeah, started shaking his head like he's excited. And, and shook my head because I'm a big Rob Todd fan and especially a big Allagash White fan. The, the consistency of that brewery and also the, the leading edge of things that they do. So I'm, I'm definitely glad you mentioned that one, Alex. It's it's just an easy go-to beer, even if you're in a supermarket somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Yep. If, if I'm in the Jersey Shore, <laughs> get, get in the beer. If I see Victory Hot Devil, which I have seen, I, I'm very happy. You know? I'm glad so, to make you happy. Oh, yeah. Jamie, right. if you ask me what I have in my fridge right now besides Evil Twin, it's actually Victory Premium Pills. Hmm. It's a good one. Um, yeah. Oh, no, okay. On that note, I love Premium Pills, but I love even more the Victory Braumeister series. T- tell us about that before we sign off, because right. it's like you have you have your great pills, then you have like a special series of pills. Well, I think Yeppy's going to recognize this. Sometimes when you hit something and, and you get it right, then you're like boxed in, and all you get to do is that thing. Um, and as much as I love Prima pills, if you if you cut, you know, if you cut my wrist right now, Prima pills would flow out. But <laughs> but Brownmeister pills, we began in nineteen, I'm sorry, two thousand and one, and it was just an opportunity to very methodically go through all the different hops that we had interest in. And do them do a Prima Pills recipes without the Ford Noble hops, just a single variety of hops. And uh, we've really settled on as Tetanang as as our as our main go to. But um, we'll keep developing on that one forever. That's a good one to look. I was so because I put it on my list at Jimmy's number forty three. I'm like, it's Victory Brownmeister Pills, and I I always hope that someone knows the difference because it's I'm I'm always proud to have that. So as long as you're happy with it, they oh, everyone yeah. should be happy. <laughs> We're gonna give a quick shout out to some special events coming up. Gosh, it's uh, it's it's September. It's almost October. Next week, uh, we're producing the October Feast at the Seaport. We've got a, a lineup of great new local hard to get beers like Secret Engine, Bridge and Tunnel, Other Half, and Matt Timms, our our favorite MC, is going to lead a People's Choice Bratwurst competition. So check it out, October Feast on our site, GoodBrewSeal. Insider Week's coming up, too. We'll look forward to that at the end of October. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com, who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Bill, RJ, Yeppe, and Alex for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, and our engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.